everyone. You're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello, everyone. And we're back with another Move the Dial mini-sode, where we are interviewing another attendee of the Move the Dial Summit, which we're super excited to get to talk to. Jesse Draper is a founding partner of Halogen Ventures. So thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. We're in a bathroom. I we just, are in I a bathroom. I always like to, like, having run a talk show before, I like to just tell you Give where we study. are. We're yeah, literally we're, in a bathroom. I've never, I was like, how are the acoustics going to be? And there are lockers around us. There's, like, gym lockers. Like, imagine, like, a, a school bathroom. <laughs> that is where we are it's definitely one of the more unique settings we're like underground at roy thompson hall too which is like we've never explored the depths of, yeah, <laughs> of roy thompson hall you get lost here I, it took yeah. me about 20 minutes to find the entrance yeah. yeah but yeah so we're so excited so tell us um what is halogen ventures so um yeah i'm jesse draper i run halogen ventures we do uh we invest in early stage female founded consumer technology so there has to be a woman in the founding team of our startups um it's all consumer technology so we have incredible companies um, I'm in Canada so I never know how like how our companies have translated internationally yet um, but um, we're an investor in carbon 38 which is partially owned by footlocker um, we are a big investor in the skim which is a really really great um, media company that's just booming um, and uh, we have companies in fashion all the way to um, uh, light healthcare we have a menstrual cup um, that just rolled out all over in CVS stores and Target. Um, and so we invest in just companies that I see huge potential in over the next 10 years. Um, usually they have a product, some are B2B, and um, we're really looking for like the female uh, executives of the future and hoping to fund them. That's really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. And we like men too, so don't be, you know, we have three male CEOs, 55 companies, um, and there's men in the teams, obviously. So I just, uh, I think it's just about uh, diversity. Yeah, making sure. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah it's absolutely. And there's like so many studies out there that having a diverse founding team just makes your product better because mm-hmm. we have more point of views, more perspectives. Exactly. But And so what are some other kind of like indicators or, or things that you use to kind of pick the companies that you invest in? Uh, such a good question. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, having had 55 founders that I've worked with, you do see some patterns. And um, so in terms of the founder, I really am looking for, uh, you know, passionate, excited, a little naive about how big a mountain they're going to have to climb because then it, nothing will affect them and they'll want to learn and learn and learn and learn. Um, I like um people who have real knowledge of an industry and that makes it sort of proprietary to them. I love um, teams where, uh, you know, I'm saying, you know, the founder is so, so important. Um, And if they're really, really great at marketing, I want to make sure there's a great CTO on the team as well. And so they have complementary skill sets and they know what those are and they know what their strengths are. Um, I like motivated people. I want the founders who will walk on water and breathe fire and do whatever they need to do in order to make the company happen because it's not always easy and it's a real journey. And then, you know, bottom line, I look for people who I really want to work with um, because it's a 10-year marriage essentially. And you you really go through some serious ups and downs. And as an investor, it's very difficult, especially if you sit on the board and you're the mirror and you have to show them, hey, you know, it looks like this may not be working. We need to figure out another way. And it's never, you know, what they 
they want to hear. And so you just really need to look at it that way. But we find teams, you know, it'll be two, three people in a room with an idea. So um, founder, founder, founder is most important. Uh, And then um, a product that's disruptive. I like the first or the second mover in a space. So once there's 15 to 20 of them, uh, you really have to prove to me why you are the best, why you will win, what is proprietary to you, what makes you unique, and uh, why no one can copy it. Uh, And so that's not to say I won't invest, but I just want to make sure it's defensible in some way. Um, And then some kind of traction, and that could mean a million in revenue. It could mean 100,000 users. Um, It could be some research uh, that this is a product that's needed because you haven't maybe been able to get it to market yet. Sometimes we invest pre-product. I love to see um, some kind of traction, though. So those are three things I'd say I look for. So founder, uh, some traction, and something really, really disruptive and new. I love it when people come in and pitch me, and I have no idea what they're talking about, (laughs) because it means I haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, whoa, 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 talk to me a little more about that. And when I don't understand it, I will do enough research until I do. And um, I think that's, those are the companies I get very, very excited about because I've never seen them before. So like when a company has a little bit of stardust, like a mystery behind like the technology or something that's kind of unique. Yes, something unique makes them different. Um, We have, so let me give you some examples. Um, And I never want to discourage anyone out there, but we, Five years ago, I invested in a plus-size women's clothing line direct to consumer. It was called Eloquy. And last year, we sold it for $100 million to Walmart. And that, first of all, that was a five-year journey. Usually, it takes 10. Uh, There's all this data that just came out yesterday that when a female is in the executive team, they exit a year faster, which is very exciting. Um, But I have to say, we've seen that with our companies. But I bring this company up because after we sold it, it was the first I'd seen. I'd never seen a direct-to-consumer plus-size women's clothing line five years ago. We sold it, and then I got thousands of pitches um, in that space. And so I would just say, if you are going into that space, like don't get discouraged by this podcast. Just make sure there's something unique to you. Are you selling it differently? Are you doing something unique with your clothing? Um, why is your product the best? How are you going to win? Um, how are you going to get the next Walmart uh, type uh, corporation to buy you? Or are you going to go public? Um, and so I like to find it first. So now that's a little bit less interesting to me, not completely uninteresting interesting, but we already sold one of those and that was new five years ago. So we're looking for, okay, well, what's the next thing? Because it takes 10 years to grow a company. So you really want to stay ahead. Mm -hmm. And what roles are like, are the females in the founding team usually taking on? Are they the CEO, the CTO, COO? So usually it's the CEO, president, uh, sometimes CTO, COO, um, but I just want to make sure that they're in the founding team. Mm -hmm. And where are the biggest kind of gaps in the roles? Are there a lot of women being CTOs or do you find not so much? That's interesting. Um, We have a lot of great female CTOs and like head of product and things like that. So um, I think that they're, yeah, where are the holes? I mean, I would love to see more people in technology, more women in technology specifically in terms of the product, definitely. But, um, you know, the women we invest in are usually in charge of the product. Um, And then in terms of 
the deals we see, you know, last year we saw 5,000 deals. I talked to um, Sequoia and a couple of the other uh, sort of more traditional venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, and um, and they saw 1,200 to 1,400 in the early stages. So, like, women are starting companies, so that's a non-issue, thank yeah. goodness, yeah. Um, because every once in a while someone says to me, well, that's really a niche, and I'm like, no, they're like women are 50% of the population. So actually, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And if there are any founders or entrepreneurs kind of listening right now, what are kind of like the first steps that would be the best way to reach out to you? Um, is it a cold email? Like what, what's the best way where they can reach out to you where it, it, the highest possibility of, uh, of something of a good outcome? You know, we really try to kind of diversify the way we look at deals. And so we have always had something on our website where you can cold submit and we really do look at those. Um, you can, we're very accessible. So it's halogenvc.com. Um, I'm very accessible online. I feel like, uh, you know, we've had taken pitches through Instagram at Jesse C. Draper. We've taken pitches uh, through email. So um, we really like to mix it up and make sure everyone has a shot. I think that's important too, you know, the, um, but, um, but yeah, so I'd say that. So you just, and also just get out there. Like, just get out there, start your idea. Don't get over, like, get intimidated by, you know, creating a company. Take that first step and take the next step and um, go raise money if you need to raise money. Some people are magical and can bootstrap a company. And I, I'm the biggest proponent of don't raise external money if you don't have to. But most people don't have a million extra dollars sitting in their pocket to get their product off of the ground. Um, and I'd say, you know, you guys were alluding to the data out there today that, um, you know, there is incredible data now that diverse teams breed success. And so you want diversity. Like our founders are diverse in terms of age, race, gender, um, you know, sexual preference. And that's just because we went off of the traditional path of looking for technology companies. We said, we're looking for women. Um, and we have, you know, over 50% minority-led companies. And, you know, you should make sure that your team doesn't come from the same background because then everyone sees something different. Yeah, especially for consumer products. Like if you're targeting all customers, you should have a solid team that understands a lot of those perspectives as well. That is such a good point. Um, also, the best companies are the products that are accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are luxury companies that are doing incredibly well, but I think it's really important if, if you are a luxury company to come out with something that everyone can afford or... Uh, create something for everyone because then you have a bigger market and um, you know everyone yeah. can be a customer and then you're you you go from a billion dollar market to like a 50 billion dollar market very or it's way bigger than that guys I was sort of thinking in terms <laughs> of countries yeah and if you do have a luxury brand and you do like hook a customer early with a less expensive product then when they are able to buy if they're able to buy a luxury product they'll probably come to you oh completely yeah, yeah. The, the apple model like like apple has cheaper iphones all the way to like really expensive ones is to kind of yeah. get everyone in the market so true that is such a good example yeah so what's going on in toronto guys 
in Toronto. So, I mean, in terms of like the startup scene, exciting things here. Yeah. So we uh, have the pleasure, of course, of talking to like a ton of founders. Um, and everyone says that probably the biggest gap is just access to capital. There is like you can kind of find like seed stage funding. If you have revenue, maybe you can turn to ClearBank. But it, it is difficult to get someone between those kind of stages when you're just not generating revenue you maybe have users maybe they're doing free trials a lot so it's difficult for people to kind of bridge that gap it seems you know I think fundraising just in general is really really hard and I think people don't realize that and so it's funny because we get a lot of women and I hate even saying this who come in and they say well I'm having trouble raising and I say well how many people did you talk to and they said well five said no I'm like you know how many said no to me about 500. Yeah. So, you know, it took me about 500 meetings yeah. to close my first fund. And you need to go out there and plan on having 100 meetings. If you get to 20, 25, and everyone's saying no and not even slightly interested, I would go back to a couple of those key people and say, hey, what was your issue with investing in my company and how could I um, – you know, fix that. And sometimes it's as simple as like, you know, well, you weren't addressing a billion dollar market. And, um, and, you know, you might just have to correct that by putting a slide in your deck that says, actually, this is a billion dollar market. Like I didn't know, for example, knitting was a multi-billion dollar market, just knitting. (laughs) So, you know, if you are running a knitting company, make sure that you put that the market is, you know, $3 billion or whatever in your slide deck. I mean, there's simple fixes, and sometimes you just don't realize how you're coming off. But whenever someone says no, and you know it's just not happening, that's the best time to turn it around and say, hey, why why is this a no for you? And uh, what advice would you give me? And you may end up starting an investor, I mean, a, a advisor relationship, in which case next time they'll invest because they'll see that you made progress. And also... My, my real secret tip there is like, well, hey, if this isn't right for you, right when they say no, they feel guilty. Like, they, like everyone feels guilty when they say no, right? So hit them right there and say, is there someone you'd recommend I talk to who would be interested in investing? And that's the time for to ask for, ask for something because you're like, okay, you said no, um, but you seem pretty well connected. Like, I would love... Uh, your advice on this or I would love you to introduce me to someone who you think might be a fit for this um, or I'd like some real feedback Uh, I think those are things that people don't realize like don't be afraid to ask if they say no don't be intimidated by the word no I feel like I can't even hear the word no anymore when people say no to me I'm just like okay on to the next honestly I'm really grateful because I'm like thank you for not wasting my time the worst ones are like you have six meetings with someone and you really think they're interested because they continue to meet with you and then they're sort of like you realize they're just hemming and hawing and they just are too scared to say no yeah and yeah that's not good yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally a lot of the people we talk to do seem to be uh really intimidated by um the whole fundraising process and talking to the vcs themselves I might be wrong here, but I feel like a lot of people feel that the power dynamic is very one sided. Mm -hmm. So you are just going there. You you want something from them. But and like entrepreneurs have to realize that the VCs also want something from the companies. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a two sided relationship. 
And I like from all the people we interviewed, it's nobody thinks that most people think of the power dynamic as completely one sided where the person investing has all the power and the entrepreneur doesn't. No, it goes both ways. Uh, It definitely goes both ways, especially if you're a venture capitalist trying to get into a really great deal. And I think if you're a smart entrepreneur, you would ask questions like, hey, you know, what does your fund look like right now? Are you deploying capital? Do you have money to invest? How many deals did you do last year? And um, and then also, do you save money for follow-on funding? Every entrepreneur at some point comes back and says, so we're running out of money. Mm-hmm. Like that's a completely normal thing. And I think the worst thing that could happen is when an entrepreneur doesn't tell their investors and then they just kind of like sink the ship you know <laughs> and you're like okay so would like I, like every once in a while I'll have an, uh, an entrepreneur come to me like you know three weeks before they run out of money and they're like hey so um I need money and I go how much runway do do you have and they say oh we have about three weeks I'm like so I can't do anything in three weeks like that sucks for you. Like, you should have given me six months notice. Like, when you start seeing the six months ahead of you running out, that's when you should be out there and make sure you're kind of figuring out what you can do. But, um, you know, and then I think just communication for entrepreneurs. But, yes, it's two-sided. You can ask questions, too. There are a lot of venture capitalists out there. I think also people feel like, oh, I was introduced to three and, like, I can't find any more. And there are thousands. So just look farther, look harder. Most of them do have some sort of website you can submit through. Um, you know, you read about them online, you find lists. Like I try not to have any inhibitors when it comes to deals coming in because I don't want to miss the next Uber or what have you. Um, and I think you want to make sure that there's there are some VCs who are like, no, it's by introduction only. And I'm like, that's not I feel like that's the stupidest thing you could do because like you're gonna miss out on somebody and also uh, not everybody knows you yeah it's not very <laughs> inclusive to think like that because yeah. then you're just gonna meet people in your network yeah but... I want no barriers like yeah. you're in it's a privilege to be in the business of investing in people's dreams and so you should just be like you know taking names <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that yeah, attitude. that's, awesome. that's great you. to hear and um, within um, like Halogen Ventures, how do you kind of promote diversity and inclusion within your team and stuff like that? Well, right now we're all women. Actually, I guess that's not true because our lawyer is male and we have, you know, I feel like we're represented in, in all areas. And then I think our founders, you know, we're a very small team. Um, and I think our founders are represented in every way. And another way I think of diversity is like we invest in the earliest stages of companies. This is the riskiest capital. Um, You know, the companies haven't made it even, they haven't even necessarily launched a product yet. And so it's also the most powerful time to make significant change in terms of diversity and everything else. It's like, if you teach these companies at the earliest stages, like, hey, how are you recycling your product? Are you thinking about making it biodegradable? Um, are you thinking about how your team is sort of has four, you know, incredible men and one female? Maybe we should consider looking at um, a male and female candidate for every position you're hiring for, like make sure that you're looking at both genders. Um, And I think those are things I want my companies thinking about at the earliest stages, because then once they are these billion dollar unicorns, um, they're thinking about that all the way along and that feeds into the culture. It creates, you know, a place where everyone's welcome. And the coolest thing about investing in these teams is 
women think about impact more than men. There's a ton of data around it. And so um, my companies do things like, oh, you know, we have this tea company that's creating sustainable tea. They're getting rid of the tea bag. Who knew that tea was, uh, you know, it's actually like very bad for the environment, these tea bags. Um, There was just a big New York Times article about it, actually. And so she's creating bagless tea. And then for every box you buy, you know, she gives clean water somewhere and just thinks about it that way. And I think every company should be thinking about it, thinking about the world that way. Like, what problem do we want to solve and how can we solve it by also giving back in some way? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not necessarily like giving out free product. Like, there's other things you can do. You know, you might have a big media company and you can help promote, you know, climate change, whatever it may be. Um, But I think there's a lot that founders can do. And I also think founders have a big responsibility to do that and make sure their whole teams are thinking about that. So as you said, sometimes the um, the entrepreneur journey can be 10 years. So if I'm starting a new business, how do I know that my idea is worth pursuing for 10 years? when in fact it should be something that I shouldn't be pursuing uh, at all. We all suffer from personal biases. How can we put that aside and make sure that the idea we're working on is something that people actually care about? Such a good question. Um, I think you won't know until you're about two to three years in. And when you're two to three years in, you'll be like, either something's happening or I need to change my model, pivot, or sell now. And we see that from the, I think one of the most important roles an investor has is pointing out after two or three years, hey, so we thought this was a billion dollar market. It looks more like a hundred million dollar market. Let's sell for a hundred million dollars and let's start thinking about that. It's earlier than we thought. Um, but you know, we've gone this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. Maybe we should just consider other options. And I think that does happen. And I wish more investors talked about it. You just hear about the unicorns, but like, you know, we invest in 30 deals per portfolio. And like, that's like, that's why we invest in 30, not one. If we invested in one, that's just like, you're going to lose your money in venture capital because it's so risky. You know, we lose a couple. And, um, I think, you know, what, you can do as an investor is think ahead and say, okay, so we've been working together. I want something to happen with this incredible technology you've built, but people aren't paying enough for it or whatever the issue may be. So let's figure out who needs this. And maybe we do an equity sale. Maybe we, um, you know, do uh, equity sale is probably like best case scenario if you cannot sell the company for cash. Um, and, um, I think you just need to be open to all perspectives. The worst founders are, I call them the know-it-alls. Like if you think you know everything, you, uh, you're you going to sink your ship because you think you have the answers to everything. And it means you have a board that you don't listen to and you're not open to all perspectives. Um, and then there's the opposite. That's like every a founder whose head is spinning because they're listening to everything. So as a founder, you really need to be focused and have the vision of where the company's going take all of the information coming at you and sort through it, hear what, you know, really listen to the things you're hearing multiple times, because clearly that's, you know, an issue that you're hearing regularly, and then figure out what to do with that information. But you should be open to information. You should learn from people older, wiser, with more experience, sometimes younger, wiser, with more experience. I think you need to think that way. I think the the know-it-all founder is a real thing. It's happened about twice to me. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always say hubris is like the worst quality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows everything. I can learn from you guys. You can learn from me. It's like, you know. <laughs> Um, nobody knows everything. Like, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys think there's one person who knows everything in the whole world? Like, who would be the closest person to that? I'd say my, my, one of my favorite quotes is that um, a wise person knows they know nothing. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, the more you accept that yeah. you, things always change and the more you're open to it and question everything, that the smarter you are. I mean, anybody who acts as, like, super expert probably doesn't know it that well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's the best way to think about it. So finally, just uh, we want to ask you why you think it's important to be part of Move the Dial. I think this is so, uh, so incredibly important. You know, um, Jay Rosenzweig, who um, is very involved with Move the Dial, is um, he is one of my investors and he is an incredible human. He, you know, I was just at his office and so he's the reason I got involved. Um, He is a man who champions women and he champions me and he champions multiple founders in his portfolio. And um, he's been doing this. I was looking around his office. He has all of these incredible newspaper articles and it's like Jay, it's like Jay Rosenzweig championing women since like 2007 he was helping break this glass ceiling and this is this is a man you know and I think that's the coolest thing I I, so I'm involved because Jay's involved and because this is for men and women and we need to move the dial in all directions but um but I think that it's also clearly teaching people that men should be championing women as well as men I love that well Thank you so much. We'll let you eat lunch. And uh, yeah, it was really great talking to you. So thank you so, so much thank for Thank you. That. Thank you. Thank you. It's some really great advice and stuff that we haven't, hadn't heard before. So oh, I'm sure good. it will help a lot of people. Thank you. Good. No, thanks. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until, Until next time. time.